0: You are listening to an HD Smartcast original. Ready? am to This could be a great intro. Hi, I'm Akshay. Hi, this is Saurabh, and you are listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country. And we want to learn how to build a unicorn. Hi, I'm Aditya Save.
1: I'm a lifelong student of human behavior and uh, it has led me down a lot of rabbit holes, sometimes marketing, sometimes entrepreneurship. In my current avatar, I'm working with some really fascinating ideas, concepts, and startups and trying to make a big story in this world.
2: Aditya Save is an exception to the type of people we generally interview in this show. He's best known for his marketing stint at Marico and shavi.com and is currently an angel investor. We had originally recorded Aditya's interview for our marketing podcast, but the conversation with him was so fascinating that we decided to make it a masterclass for founders on the fundamentals of marketing. Aditya has had an amazing journey from a middle-class family in Mumbai to running large marketing operations in both traditional FMCG companies and also a digital products company. Here's Aditya talking about how he got his first job in a marketing agency in the early 90s.
1: A friend of mine had had appeared for an interview uh, in an office and she said uh, they're still looking for people. So if you want, you send your resume. And I sent him my resume. And uh, I got an interview call I went there I think Google was very very new to Hong Kong of Google beneath house time so I didn't know what the company did except for the fact that it was an advertising and um, I still remember the person sitting across from me behind him there was a poster of close-up some ad of close-up on the on the wall and I and my first thought in the room was what a strange place to put up poster for an ad and he asked me you know why do you want to work for us and I said you know someday I want to make a film And if I want to make a film, then, you know, ad films are the way to go. And if ad films are the way to go, then I have to work in advertising. And he said, uh, he said, but we don't do any of those ad films. We don't make ad films here. So, so I just looked at him and like, okay, so what do you guys do? So he said, we are a media company. And I, and, you know, if I have this conversation today with somebody, I'll probably never see the guy again. But I asked him, so what's a media company? And uh, he was nice enough to tell me what a media company does. In those days, there was only one. You know, uh, I was sitting in HTF Alkram and doing this. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: And I was talking to Sandeep Tarkas. And I don't know why I got a call back. And, you know, they said, come and work for us. So by all stretch of imagination, that interview shouldn't have gone the way it did. And definitely shouldn't have. In fact, I tried to ask Sandy a couple of years later. What made you choose us? And, you know, he says, I don't remember which one was yours, but we really needed people to work for us. So, <laughs>
0: so
1: uh, But yeah, so I mean, a lot of coincidences. Things went in my favor. Um, again, Fulcrum was an absolutely life-changing experience.
0: I almost spent five so years. So this was in 2000, uh, your first job? Yes, this was Fulcrum. first okay. job. And, um, so what was the profile they offered you? What exactly did you do there?
1: So Fulcrum was a or it still is a A unit dedicated for media planning and buying for Unilever, Hindustan Unilever, uh, you know. So HLL in those days, HUL today. It was the only one of its kind because in those at that time media had not been consolidated, which means that every creative agency still also had a media department, right? And uh, HUL was the only one which had this separate standalone entity called
0: Fulcrum. So Fulcrum was a subsidiary of HUL.
1: It, it's a subsidiary. It was a subsidiary of HTA, which was which then became JWT. It was an agency's outfit, but it was completely separate from the agency. So, for example, the creative agency was still in South Bombay and we were in Dadar, Right. And we looked at them just the way we looked at every other creative agency. <laughs> but it was it, it was a magical time. I mean, there was a lot of money floating around because it was one of those clients who really wanted to make a difference, had the means to do business well in India. Business was booming lots of great brands to work on lots of latitude to do stuff you know so um, my batch we were I think about 12 or 13 management trainees in the batch and from day one we were pretty much allowed to do whatever we wanted to do you know we were equals in in that place and one of the things that that struck me a few years after that was that you know till you start your first job you don't really know how you will be at work because as a student, you know, you became a student before you realized it, right? So, but can you work? Can you be a worker? You know, can you be an employee? Pata not hai, Okay. And it is only when you end up in your first job that you realize, you know, is this something you want to do? Uh, is this something you can do? And I think Fulcrum that way in that in that way was really magical because it allowed you to pretty much define your role. It allowed you to figure out what is good and chase it on your own. So my profile was that I was a buyer, Uh, I was a media buyer, and I had to work with Doordarshan centers around the country. That was my first portfolio. But it it was complete freedom. I mean, I ran my own shop. Uh, I ran my own portfolio. I had somebody uh, who was my supervisor, but, you know, he had his work and I had mine. And so, so long as I took care of work, I was, I had, I had a free hand.
0: Help me understand your like deliverable better. So you had to ensure that there are uh, advertisements coming out on Doordarshan for HLL or HUL. Uh, was that your mandate?
1: Yes. So if I look at terms of KPIs, um, being efficient, so cost efficient was, was a huge thing because HUL was the biggest buyer of media at that time. Uh, and so there was certain efficiency that was expected. That was one. Uh, the second thing was, how well can you marry a brand to the given opportunity? So trying to marry advertising to content is something we did in those days. Um, you know, we didn't realize it till till people started writing about it 10 years later. But it was something that we were trying to do as much as we could, you know. So look at what the content is, try and figure out how do you map the right kind of advertising to it? Uh, how do you create opportunities for advertising that take the brand content that takes the brand message forward? So branded content was something we worked on long before. Again, it was crafted as a as a buzzword.
0: Give me some examples also.
1: So for example, uh, Fair and Lovely used to be a big brand. And Fair and Lovely had a certain tonality to it. The new advertising campaign had a, a certain proposition. And because I was working with Doordashan and Doordashan has a lot of norms on what content it will and which will not allow, it was left to me to figure out how to marry the right kind of content to the advertising. Right. So, for example, if the theme was about beauty at night or midnight beauty or, you know, beautiful like the moon, for example, then I would seek out as many programs as possible, which had references to, you know, moonlit romantic conversations, moonlit beauty, all of those things and try and slot them together around each other, largely working within the constraints of what Durdashan allowed its producers to do, but also trying to understand how to make sure that that stood out for you as compared to other other uh, competitors or marketeers.
0: So you would have conversations with the show producers uh, of all the various shows to figure out which show would marry well with what advertisement.
1: At one point of time, I was managing, I think, 19 different Doorshashan centers. And those were. The, I didn't have a mobile phone then
0: so uh, could you help me understand what you mean by managing 19 centers what, what I, I i mean i'm not from the industry so i'm not able to so durjashen uh, so let's take durjashen let's take the private channels uh, a
1: star plus uh, essentially tells the producer come and sell me your content i will pay you per episode i will air it i will sell the advertising and i will make the money okay so the risk is mine and the upside is also mine okay D- durgeshan followed a different model Duration said we will give you a slot you will pay me a slot fee and then and in return for a slot fee i will give you certain advertising time allowed within your program you go sell that advertising time outside to advertisers and make your money right so durgeshan was safeguarded in terms and it was capped in terms of what it could do but the uh, producer had an incentive if the producer's program did well, he would obviously make more money by selling at higher advertising rates outside. Right, so that was the model, and uh, so there is a there is Durudashin one, which today you know Durudashin one and Durushan two that uh, which are national feeds, and then every state had a feed, right? So uh, Marathi Durushan DD10 used to operate from Bombay. There was one from Patna. There was one from Gujarat. There was one from Kannada, Tamil, Tamil, Telugu, every language. So I was working with 19 of the state uh, Doordashan centers and the national feed. And uh, because I was almost, I think, at, at one point of time, I was the only one working on Durdashan in the office. A lot of people wouldn't even understand how Doordashan worked because everybody is getting very used to the satellite way of working. Right. So what feed comes when? What feed gets cut when? If I'm watching TV, when will I switch from a national feed to a local feed? So when do you air in, you know, local language advertising versus national advertising? When do you do local promotion versus, uh, you know, vernacular promotion versus national promotion? All of that. And the other thing was because of the volume that I held, a lot of producers actually wanted to talk to me, right? So every producer realized that if they could get uh, our advertising on board, they would at least be safeguarded in their revenue. So like I was saying, it was before mobile. And I think we had two two lines on the switchboard one line was almost always full with calls for me because i was 70 different producers and most of the other guys were dealing with the channels and uh, so over time i realized uh, i could remember everybody's phone number everybody's fax number i, I knew the landlines lines and their mobile numbers and i could recognize voices on the phone so the way somebody said hello i knew which of my 70 producers was calling Mm. So
0: your experience in MBA days of those projects with different people would have contributed in making you effective here, I guess. Uh,
1: yeah. So I think of people as individuals, uh, even if they are part of a collective. Uh, so I mentally, I'm able to map similarities and differences separately. So I, I tend to notice uniqueness in a person specifically. I, I don't know when, when that started, but it's something that, has over time, I've I've realized, I tend to do a lot more. So, and these were, and I think what also happened was the fact that the independence that I got from my first day on the job made me feel that I could take risks, and that you know, even if I took a risk, I had to know what was the quantum of risk, and therefore, how do you correct it? You know, uh, if something goes wrong, how do you how do you salvage it? What do you do when when there's a problem? And that made me incompatible. With companies where you have a very well-defined job, you have a process, you only are supposed to find the process, uh, you know, your ingenuity is not required. And it made me extremely comfortable in companies where they depended on you, pretty much define your role. So culturally, I tended to do better in those kind of companies.
0: So how many years did you spend at Fulcrum? Almost five. Okay. Then uh, why did you switch? Uh,
1: money. Because okay. uh, the salary wasn't... Enough. In fact, there was you know a joke that if you really wanted to get married, uh, you had to quit a job, you know, because nobody, <laughs> no, father, no father is going to give his daughter to you if he finds out that you are Um And it, it is quite an open joke, and all of us used to have a lot of fun about it. Um, but yeah, it was in a way it was also true. So I had to switch because of the money. Okay. So where next? Uh, so I work for a company called Heinz. Heinz uh, was an American firm but the only American product they had at that point of time was Heinz ketchup everything else was the uh, old Glaxo portfolio of Complan, Glucondi etc and I and I joined the marketing team there Um, it was not a very long stint I was there for less than two years Um, like I said some some setups don't really agree too much with me and I realized that I wanted to get out from there what also happened is i in that period i got married we were expecting a baby and i needed to make sure that i continue uh making more money and i figured that the better way to do it at that stage was to switch jobs rather than expect an increment and that's why i started looking for a job and i i got uh an offer from gsk in delhi
0: so heinz was also media buying uh
1: so heinz i did yes heinz i did um so it wasn't media buying uh, that was done by the agency. The client role, the client role tends to be everything, which means you know the agency reports into you, and you pretty much handle all advertising planning buying. You oversee all of it. You don't do any of it directly. Uh, your job is essentially to to sit with brands closely and figure out what works for a brand from from the client point of view. So it was the move from the agency end to the to the client end.
0: And you were handling a specific brand or a portfolio of brands
1: no so um, there was a conversation for me to handle a brand but by the time uh, i quit i i didn't think the the company was really working out for me
0: and you moved to gsk then i
1: moved to gsk so gsk was uh, i don't think of myself as a risk taker so even when even what sounds like a risk is actually in my mind not a risk so in the case of gsk for example i had never lived outside bombay and i wanted to see what it was like you know if i could be able to manage with just my family alone, uh, without the sort of support infra that you know we have in Bombay, and family and friends, and you just know the city well, right? So wanted to try something different. And again, uh, I was very lucky to get a great boss that really may help my decision along. And looking back, it was a it was a, a risky time to move per se because uh, we just had a baby, both of us, me and my wife, were from Bombay, didn't know anybody in Gurgaon.
0: Your wife was working.
1: Uh No, she was not working. So she quit and we moved. And um, it seemed uh, in hindsight, I think it was a little silly. But again, it worked out. I got some great teammate company and boss spoiled me silly. So
0: it worked out. And what was the role there?
1: That was an interesting role. So while I was at Heinz, one of the things I realized is that, uh, you know, with brands, there are so many aspects that most people don't get to know about. Okay. So for example, a brand doesn't grow just because you put an ad out, right? Though that's how a marketer wants to believe it. So the role that R&D plays, the role that supply chain plays, the role that you know uh, comp- competition plays, uh, the role that your CFO plays in in the company doing well, in the brand doing well. I because Heinz was a smaller setup, uh, I got I got exposed to all of it, and it was it was pretty pretty eye opening to find what else can happen, what else can you know sort of derail you from from the path that you're trying to set yourself on. Uh, so in in GSK, my role was actually a marketing and supply chain put together role. So I would report into the marketing head and the supply chain head, the uh, procurement head. My job was to make sure that we were able to get the best value for our brands while making sure. So uh, think of um, think of an extension of what uh, the Fulcrum role was in terms of figuring out what brand values to propagate, what Advertising content, what non-advertising content, uh, what to do on mass media, what to do on digital, very, very nascent digital at that stage. And how do you bring efficiency into this such that small brands can actually ride on big ones? Those were the contours of what I was trying to do. And GSK, um, so I work for GSK Consumer, but the parent organization was a pharma company, is a pharma company. And in fact, GSK Consumer was just sold last year to Hindustan Unilever. So processes were all set up from the far end, which means you were very very straight jacketed processes you couldn't take risks on stuff uh, all kinds of uh, constraints put in all of that So it was a very um, it is a very challenging time very interesting time to work in the middle of all of that trying to explain stakeholders how media is different how marketing is different how it cannot fit in the norms that have been set up uh, what you need to step outside for how do you still manage risk you know, so one of the things I realized is that most companies tend to mix risk and uncertainty. And uh, one thing I find in my current life is that most entrepreneurs instinctively understand the difference between risk and uncertainty. Right. So that was sort of a filter for me because there is, there is very little risk. It's just a lot of uncertainty that you're trying to you know, walk away from. So, so yeah. So that was my time in GSK. Uh,
0: help me understand better on risk versus uncertainty.
1: So a lot of intelligent people have written a lot of stuff about it. So I'm obviously not the right person to to speak about it. But in my mind, the way I see it is uh, risk is measurable. Risk is manageable. Okay. So which means there's a quantum attached to risk. There is a metric attached to it. Uncertainty is just the probability of something happening. Okay. And so people tend to react more to uncertainty than they tend to react to risk. I don't think most people tend to think of the two of them as separate. So I'll give you an example in current times. For example, you're not sure if you're going to get infected, right? But social distancing or lack of social distancing will increase the risk of you getting infected. Okay. Masks will reduce the risk of you getting infected. Okay. So while the probability of an uncertainty remains of an event happening, risk is the measure or the metric of a particular sub event happening and therefore to sort of cover for the risk you can do things on uncertainty you pretty much can't do anything about it that's the difference in my mind so usually when i think of something i'm thinking of what is the probability of this happening so for example if i'm talking to you right now and i'm you know sitting with my laptop my laptop might might conk off you know i might get a blue screen the way windows gives you some once in a while okay i can't do anything about that but there is a risk that i might run out of battery. Okay. And I can do something about that. Uh, This is a a measure that I use in almost every conversation, you know, every business decision, consciously or subconsciously. And I I find increasingly, I find that a lot of people don't understand the difference. So I I sort of bring up the topic if I'm talking to a founder.
0: What is your advice that you should embrace risk and don't worry about uncertainty because risk can be managed or like, what is the advice that you give to
1: people? If I do that, I will become guru. My starting point is, you know, recognize the fact that two of them are different. Very, very important. The moment I say they are different, you will obviously ask how are they different, right? So at least that is a starting point. Like I said, I think you can't do much about uncertainty. Okay. Maybe you will be able to find another definition. But it's important to bifurcate the two And in your own business, figure out which one is risk prone and which one is uncertainty prone. So I can argue that having seen what China had to do for Wuhan, once we knew that there are COVID patients in India, there was always a high risk of it spreading. Right? But the uncertainty of the government ordering a lockdown was another parameter altogether. I can't predict what the government will do right the government will probably look at its own data and say hey if i don't do this there is higher risk so what is uncertainty to me of a government action is actually a calculated risk for the government you understand you know and similarly for economic policy similarly for stock markets similarly for everybody else so the way people see risk and uncertainty depends on where they are standing closer you get to something, the more you are able to bifurcate the two.
0: So, uh, coming back to uh, GSK, so two years you spent at GSK, uh, then why did you decide to make a switch? Was it again for...
1: <laughs> no, so um, one of the things that uh, was that uh, my boss had moved to another role. He he moved to London, okay? And the offer that I had was to move to um, Singapore in a regional role. And I figured that you know, my mom stays with me. So, or rather I stay with my mom. So I figured that we would, she would not be, you know, able to go there. We won't be able to displace the family. So I started looking for something back in Bombay. And um, luckily, I, you know, I managed to find an amazing role, you know, in an amazing company. So that was how I got started in Marico.
0: And what was the role at Marico?
1: So Marico was a dual role. I was category head marketing for uh, the male grooming franchise. And I still manage digital and media as
0: as a portfolio for digital for the entire set of brands.
1: Yeah, so uh, so those are essentially you can't do that for a brand. You in, end up doing it for all brands. Yes.
0: And what was that experience like? You spent a very long time at Marico, so you must have been pretty happy there.
1: Yes, my Google search even today, if you put my name, most of the time you come up with. Uh, so it's a, if you search for Aditya Sawe, it ends up with Aditya Sawe Marico. Uh, I think, um, like I said, I've been extremely lucky to have some associations with some institutions. Marico was another one. Uh, I still think of it as my college. I couldn't. I can't see myself as an entrepreneur if I wouldn't have spent my time at Marico. I was there for about eight years, and uh, it's a it's an amazing culture. In, very early in the first year, you f- you figure out either if you're going to stick around, uh, or that this place is not at all for you. You know, so it's. It's, it's an amazing culture so most people either leave within the first year or if they stick around then they are lifers you know even if, even after they quit there's a Mar- marico alumni association that is as vocal and as active it's the place that gave me more confidence about my kind of marketing it's the place that gave me opportunities across categories it helped me it helped me pull together a lot of probably experience that i was already holding it allowed me to synchronize it with a lot of things it help me take risks uh the last role that i was doing at marico was the jd was written by me the concept was mine my designation was written by me i don't think any any company uh, would allow that that level of freedom to its to its employees so absolutely magical place to be in
0: What was the thesis you formed at Mariko? You you said that it helped you do your kind of marketing. So what is your kind of marketing? What is the thesis that you have around that? Like, what is marketing?
1: So, um, if you remember, I was telling you about, you know, 1993 and then 2000, right? So by 2008, 2008 is when I joined Mariko, okay? And 2008 was also the world crisis, the financial crisis. Uh, A lot of companies started doing a lot of Uh, taking a lot of measures to safeguard themselves and and in the middle of that i realized that the companies that had some sort of an affiliation to consumers or consumers had an affiliation to them if there was a stronger relationship those companies did better i was i was always curious about why someone likes a particular brand in the same category if the category is largely the same you know and marico allowed me to probe a lot deeper in that so the percentage of intangibles that help a person decide, right? Uh, Take a, take a purchase decision. I, I learned to craft that at Mariko. I learned to understand when to let go, you know, what do you not keep fighting on? What is in favor of the customer and what is not in favor of the customer and why, you know, going up against that is never going to be in your, you know, going to help you. Mariko helped me understand that it helps you let, uh, take failure as easily as you take success. So as a company, you know, I still remember um, I, I joined and after six months or so, my boss was uh, doing a review, uh, half failure review or something like that. And he said, he said, you know, he said, you know, mein sab Okay. And I have never had to intervene in your case. Mein koi hai. You know, I have never had to intervene in your case. Okay. This can only mean two things. Tum God you manage kar lete ho. And he smiled and he said, God, So, I manage You know, so and to that, till that time, I had never consciously realized that I actually do this. But I always thought my work was my work and not my boss's work, you know. So, I don't want to go to people in crib about this didn't happen, that didn't happen. I just want to figure out how it works, you know. So, if I'm going to report into somebody, I want to report closure whether success or failure, rather than saying happening, you know. And him saying that was, was pretty interesting because I had never consciously thought of it like that. But if you saying it to me, I realized that it was because he was comparing me with other people. So I had a lot of that kind of great revelations in Mariko.
0: So what were the answers to some of the questions which you told me? Like you had a question on why does a consumer prefer one brand over another in a category? What's the answer to that?
1: So... I don't, I don't have a good way of explaining that at an overall level. So my starting point is that I know that brands can be differentiated. Products might be same. Brands are differentiated. That's my thesis going in. Okay. Then I try to find out who the current consumer is. Who's the person who's using this particular product category? Who's the person who's using this brand? Who's the person who's using the other brand? You know, a competitive brand. And using sort of a tripod of these three, I try to build up some sort of initial concepts, propositions of my own, uh, some hypothesis around what will make the person lean more towards you and away from some other brand. Or how how will you be able to reframe this category? But my going in position is that it is possible, always possible.
0: Give me like a, the, like a case study example of figuring out why a consumer prefers one brand over another. I mean, if you... Can share something from maybe the Marico brands or something where you understood, formed a hypothesis and tested it out and
1: Okay, I'll take I'll take a you know, iOS versus Android, right? So iPhones versus everybody else in the world. Everybody now knows that iPhones have features which Android had last year, right? And yet, and these are some of the smartest people, they earn well, they are well read, you know, they're not living under a rock, right? And yet they prefer the iPhone. Okay? And when you ask them why, they give you 20 reasons why. Okay, 15 of them are about performance of some sort or the other. Okay, And if you had to logically argue with them, you be able to say that that performance already exists in Android, either exists or has been bettered by Android. right? But what you have to understand is that that consumer is not giving you the reason. That consumer is presenting a reason to be able to justify the decision he's already taken. And i don't think that's new either but just to be able to see this play out you know when everybody in the world knows that you're justifying your own decision to continue to be able to do that to your own brand you know keep having a a fan base of that sort is fascinating so i take two things away from it one is the fact that it is possible to disproportionately color consumers opinion about yourself okay as a starting point i like that and second it is not about what the product does it is what how the product is experienced. So those are two, those two are my usual starting points. And this, you know, if you look at it applies both to physical products, which I used to be a part of and now digital products. So it's not constrained by the physical world, so to speak.
0: So did uh, the Marico brands uh, overall, like, you know, uh, all of them did well under you or were there some problem brands, which you could not figure out and some brands where you figured out and cracked that. I it- had
1: spectacular failures. Yeah and you know it's very sobering like for example you know i'm talking about male grooming in 2008 okay there was no category other than us okay nobody really had i mean there were a few uh, imported brands that you would see but other than that there was nothing and the whole the hurdle you had to cross was getting indian men to behave differently okay adopt a new habit of you know hair gel and hair creams in their hair etc etc of grooming But at that point of time, you were thinking about how to build a habit. And we did a lot to the product to try and, you know, India is a very humid country. People spend a lot of time outside. You know, if your hair, if you have some product in your hair, it can become sticky. You might sweat. There might be dirt in it. It might attract dirt. All of those things can happen. Uh, And we tried to do a lot with that product to try and make it easier for people. And then I then I figured that while all of this existed, all of these issues existed in terms of opening up the category format, you know, being able to break a glass ceiling, exactly the same problems existed with oil. But Indian men had a reason for using it, right? So there was something in their makeup, in their mental makeup, that made them differentiate between formats for the same brand and sort of justify their behavior with some reasons the same thing as what i i give you the same example in the case of iphone i mean at one point of time i just gave up and i said if people prefer something then you know we should be selling more of that and we double down on the oil format rather than on the creams format
0: but could you figure out why uh, men were okay with oil with all those problems but not with the uh, gel
1: oh yeah so part of it is uh, got to do with the chemistry of hair um, Part of it has to do with the reg- with the regimen that people have in their mornings. Um, I don't want to go into details of that, but essentially, it was. Uh, I realized that the real fight was against habits that consumers already had, and I was too small as a category to be able to impact it, both in terms of uh, consumer communication and in terms of the sheer amount of money required to be able to transform it. You know. So at that point of time, for example, the other company that was trying to change behavior was Kellogg's, you know, and they were trying to introduce Indians to cold breakfast in those days, right? And do what you might, you know, you can watch all the English films you want, but you will not want a cold, you wouldn't want conflicts in cold milk. And that had a very sobering impact on what I was trying to do. So it just made practical sense to say, let's not try and change consumer behavior towards us. Let's try and build on what the consumer existing habit is because it just makes more business sense right now.
0: So in general, would you say it's best not to bet uh, that you will get to change consumer behavior for any uh, startup or any company looking to launch products?
1: I think marketing is not an ego trip. You know, marketing is about enjoying the challenge and accepting when you succeed and accepting when you fail. In either case, you only played a part, your consumer did most of the work, you know, if people have to change their mindset, people have to change their usage. They have changed it. okay? That's, that's the way I look at it. So there was this uh, company called Viber, which had a chat, chat application, and there was WhatsApp, right? WhatsApp did well. Viber didn't, right? If I look at feature to feature in those days, they were almost identical. Viber actually did really well in I think Japan and Korea. WhatsApp didn't. WhatsApp did extremely well in India, and those didn't. So what you need to do as a marketeer is you need to, if you don't bring your ego into the picture. It is possible for you to learn from your consumer. That's your biggest source of learning actually in any profession for that matter I mean forget marketing I think business depends on how much you can understand what is happening right And then there are there's something called the law of diffusion of innovation so how how can you look at new product adoption across different kinds of people, et etc et etc So you can cut it in a lot of different ways you can do a lot of science to it but the broad the, the broad principle is that people typically tend to tell you what's working and what's not, if you're willing to adopt.
0: So in a way, you could say marketing is like surfing, where you have to be able to see the wave coming and ride it, rather than trying to invent waves. And if I could give that as a summary.
1: that's a, Actually, that's a good analogy, because most people who are, sitting, who are standing on the beach think that the surfer is simply managing the wave. The surfer himself thinks he's doing a lot. So yeah, in a way, it's 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 the right uh, example to give.
0: So uh, coming back to Marico, so uh, you spent a fairly long time. Then what next? Why did you decide to leave Marico?
1: So I think Marico leaving Marico was the toughest decision because by the time I left, I was handling a portfolio which helped me spread digital from two different countries. I mean, from Asia and Africa, we had about eight or ten different hubs, and we were in about I think twenty different countries. And it was a fairly exciting role. It was something I had dreamed up of. I had seen it as a need within the firm. So I was doing that. Uh, But I realized that as an FMCG company, it would always lag behind in digital. And I was very clear that digital will change the world. So it was a bet more on myself than on the company saying, I want to be in a category or in a place where I can do this full time. And it really matters to the company itself. So FMCG's companies, the business model is fairly set. The reception model is fairly set. And so in that sense, whatever you do will only have a 10%, 15% impact on the company. I wanted to see if I can impact the, the life cycle of a firm if it if it matters. And that's, that was the reason. So, so that's the reason why I decided to move out of Marico. I actually was planning to go abroad and study. I was looking at courses on Harvard and Stanford on digital. And just as I was doing that, I got an offer from shadi.com. And my first thought was, you know, here I am trying to pay a fee to learn something which these people are willing to pay me for. It seemed like, it seemed like a no to uh, to get into uh, the category. That's how
0: I made a switch. So uh, tell me about uh, your stint at shadi.com.
1: So sh- shadi was... Um, it was a short but very different experience. Um, firstly... I didn't realize how much I was seeped in product marketing, you know. Uh, so working in a company where there was no physical product, it was quite a, it, it changed a lot of my assumptions. I mean, I think the first three months I was really struggling because all my thinking was oriented towards marketing for products or categories or brands, which had a physical presence of some sort. Right. So for example, you know, how do you test with consumers? Okay. So my natural thing was to do research. Okay, so uska timeline is
0: different.
1: how do you uh, how do you change a feature? You know, what if people don't like something? How do you figure out what they don't like? How do you change it? How do you test it? Every single aspect of every single part of marketing, I got to learn all over again at uh, Shadi. And um, in my in my previous stint at Marico, we had done some really good work on using word-of-mouth, using mobile marketing, digital marketing uh, on uh, some on growing brands and some on actually uh, launching brands. And if I wouldn't have had that experience, I probably would have thought, Kr this will So it was also the first time that I had a creative team in-house. So which, you know, typically uh, FMCG, mein, you have a creative agency, right? So whatever kar- you ho. Wo agency, brief karoge, wo 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 whereas here you had a creative team, so the visual rendition of what you were thinking about happened right outside your door. So uh, the pace of work, uh, the scale of work, you know, we had a team sitting in Bombay, and we had a team in London, and between the two, we were able to manage marketing in about 180 countries. You know so it was it's it extremely mind-opening you know how do you think about product flows how do you think about which feature should go in first uh how do you get because you can now see every part of the consumer journey how do you pull the data together to understand what it means how do you create cohorts you know so um you know, the concept of uh, aaj hum ye karenge or test karenge or perso consumer ke pas jayenge doesn't exist in digital. Okay? Because you can do all of that in one day, firstly. Second thing is, there is no such thing as pehle din hum usko ye communication second day usko hum ye communication dikhaenge. Because the concept of a day doesn't exist. You know? And, and those are constraints that you realize have been put in by the physical world on you. So, if you have an app as your business, A consumer can open that app 17 times in the same day. And each one is a new consumer journey for the same consumer. So how you define cohorts sometimes ends up defining, uh, sometimes ends up uh, influencing how much success you see. Right? So even consumer definition by itself needs to change. And that's why a lot of, you know, good marketeers tend to struggle in digital media, in digital media companies, in digital product companies. Because it's has been learned so much that it to And I think that's very important in uh, when you move from physical companies to digital companies. And when you move from one digital category to another. Because what is valid for PTM is not necessarily valid for Jio money. Or is definitely not valid for Hotstar. What works for Plus doesn't work for Hotstar. And what works for Hotstar doesn't necessarily work for
0: Prime Video. So what was uh, Shadi.com's growth engine? Like, how were they getting users?
1: It's a brand that was built in the first wave of uh, Indian digitization. By the time I joined it, the company was almost, uh, the brand was almost, I think, 20 years old or so. Okay. Plus, the need is very, very clearly identified. The people who worked on that brand initially in the first three or four years did a fantastic job of figuring out what the actual need is, which they can fulfill, and they stuck to that need. Right. So it was not about dating. It was not about getting people to meet, etc. It was very, very clear in terms of the intention of why people would come to it. Okay, that obviously has trade offs, because you typically in India, people get married only once. Right. So you are essentially building a brand that most people will work with once in their life. So branding has to be absolutely rock solid because the same consumer is not going to come back again. And that's a huge challenge because everybody who does well with your brand will fall out of it. Right? So how do you engineer word of mouth such that you can keep getting repeat audiences? Okay. That's one part. The other thing is that every three or four years, the digital landscape changes. What I mean by that is that, you know, when, when the brand started, there was only a website a desktop version, ठीक है, तो आप desktop, websites और apps में की फर्क ये है, कि अगर मैंने इस realize किया, शाम को 5 बजे, कि यार website पे ये वाले page पे ये वाली गलती है, तो मैं उसको correct करके, 5 बच के 5 minute पे जो consumer आएगा, उसको नए, नया version दिखा सकता हूँ, right? app You know, how do you plan your communication? How do you plan your product? How do you plan your algos? So the world moved from websites to app world. Within the app world, the role that search over time started to play in terms of consumer acquisition. Within that, the uh, role played by social media over time. Okay. So every three or four years, there's a new kind of intervention that comes up. And you have to readjust your brand, stay contemporary because the person who's going to use you is probably going to be a 30, 24 to 26-year-old. Okay? So today's 24-year-old is very different from the 24-year-old 5 years ago. Because five, uh, 5 years ago, when he was 25, old, when he was young, when he was 20 years old, his influence Google search. After that, 5 years ago, his influence Facebook. After that, 2 years ago, Instagram, tha. Uske ba chai TikTok. Tha. Hai? So by the time he comes to your app, that person has changed. His expectations, her expectations have changed. So today's product has to appeal to today's generation. So my usual way of looking at marketing as a whole is three things, relevance, preference, and influence. Those are the three things I try to keep steady across all my marketing work okay i mean this i did when i was working for companies and today when i do this for startups
0: can you expand on this a bit more like how exactly does this framework work
1: so you know it's because there's so much of noise around marketing and there's so much of noise around you know uh media channels communication media uh a lot of this i try to try and see strip it down and see what is what is the bare bare bone basics that you need So in marketing, if you want, uh, if you want a consumer to be on your side, there are two reasons to want it. One is for consumption and the second is business growth through that consumer. So brands grow well when consumers talk to consumers about them. Okay, because it helps you optimize your marketing spend. So the first one, which is relevance. Relevance means are you really able to find a spot in that person's life? What need do you fulfill? What pain point do you fulfill? What role are you playing in? What kind of situation? Uh, when people talk about needs, needs are very universal. You know, if it's a need, the need is universal. But sometimes you want, you feel that there is a At the same time, you're sweating a lot. So you want an irritated drink. You don't want water. You know, sometimes you feel the bahar itni garmi hai. I thanda pani so relevance is not just identifying the need. Relevance is understanding the context of that need. And then trying to fit your brand, your product, your proposition to that subset. I think that is that is a key part of what you do for a brand. You know, if you can recraft it, that's the first thing. The second thing is preference. I think of preference as monopolistic Interest that my consumer will consider my brand different from other brands you know iphone versus all the other phones they just don't think it is comparable not apple the consumer so preference is something that the consumer affords to you and so what in your 4 ps allows you to become preferred by your consumer parachute for example there are probably 50 other brands that have almost the same product.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, the product is super generic. It's just coconut oil.
1: But knowing that, you wouldn't find a woman who would be happy to substitute it. Sapola, which is another product from uh, uh, Marico, Similar, you know, understanding with its consumers. So consumers prefer you over everybody else. Some part of that is branding because it also sort of Projects, who the consumer is, etc. etc. But those are ways to build it. The final impact is that you should look like a category of one for your consumer. This is very, very crucial in digital companies because in digital, all other barriers are zero. You know. So, for example, uh, in physical product companies, availability is a big thing. You know, if, if you think that you have a suit piece, of so, you have to Raymond's shop shop you have to Raymond's. online, they are both kept next to each other. So, if you can't find Raymond's, you'll pick up something else. So, preference plays a much bigger role in digital companies than it does in physical companies. In physical, it is not anything to laugh about either. And the last one is influence. I think that is the real dhande ki baat. Acquiring consumers is a very, very costly proposition for all businesses. And so, for a marketeer to expect K R company is is not realistic. So, a good brand is a brand where the consumer recruits a consumer for you. How well you create the cycle of influence? How well do you help your consumer talk about you? How easily does the consumer understand what to say? How much of that consumer's ego is vested in recommending you? All of these things come under the third head of influence. And they are fairly simplistic things to say, but obviously there's, it's a full-time job to do each of the three. So you could almost divide your marketing team into three, three parts and say one team will try to drive relevance, one team will work only on preference, and one team will try to generate as much influence as possible.
0: So in a way, uh, if I could further expand this, so the team driving relevance would be like your product team. The team driving preference would be your marketing communication team. The team driving influence would be, for example, teams doing, say, working with bloggers or people who do video reviews or those kind of uh, celebrities to get them to talk about your product.
1: Actually, that's the way a lot of people end up interpreting it. A lot of people actually reorient their teams like that. But honestly, relevance is not the only place where product teams are important. Preference may, you need a product team. So think of it like three cross functional teams having different skill sets. Okay, Pullable skill sets if you don't have enough people. But three very different KPIs. Three very different objectives to attain. So I wouldn't say it is skill sets of the teammates. It is what they achieve together. What they orient themselves together. That matters.
0: So uh, why was the Shadi stint short? I mean, two years compared to six years, seven years at uh, Marico.
1: So when I was 25, I had told my wife that I would want to retire at 40. And while I was at Shadi, I was about to turn 40. And, you know, she sort of reminded me about it. And I said, nah, nah, yaar, saal aur fir baad, you know. And by the time I was already working with startups, you know, so my weekdays were full in office and my weekends were full with, with startup companies. And she was like, you know, the amount of work you're putting in doesn't make sense. Or so rethink it. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, I think it was it was more a decision that we just took, saying, okay, I will retire from active. Work life.
0: Okay. And uh, does your wife work now? Uh, wh- what does she do?
1: Uh, she has a uh, company of her own. She has a health food brand of her own. Ah, own. Okay. So, she's entrepreneur in the But it was, um, it was a, I think it was a joint call. That we, we took a couple of weeks to think about it. And explaining it is still difficult to people because a lot of my friends are my age. And a few of them resent the fact that you know, it's too early. But I thought it was, I, I in hindsight, I think it, it worked out really well for me. It gave me more time to do what I wanted to do.
0: And you know, and the choice making has really worked out. Essentially, the decision it took was to not be in a job and instead uh, be an angel investor or be a mentor to start. What exactly did you decide to so do? I,
1: started, I had started investing when I was in Mariko. Um, and Marico, in that sense is extremely encouraging to doing whatever you want to do in life you know so i had a i had a written uh, uh, approval from my cmd to invest outside if i wanted to so long as it didn't you know conflict with any of marico's interests and that so what i realized is that my thinking was very very jaded in marico and working with startups allowed me to sort of open up some of those assumptions all over again And the more I did it, the more I realized that I enjoyed it, that nothing that I thought was a given is a given. And so I started wanting more of it and giving up a job allowed me more time
0: to do this. To do what? What is this? Like be an angel investor? What do you call yourself now?
1: (laughs) I'm a repairman. I, I repair businesses. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> uh,
1: So most of the people who approach me are people who who have tried to do something of their own and have got stuck somewhere and i work with them on repairing that business i invest some of my own money we have a company where we help startups strategy market access and funding but the broad thing that i think about is happiness comes from solving problems so whatever helps me solve problems i'm makes me happy so i want to spend more time on it i want to try and give as much time to it, allocate as much time to it as I can.
0: Can you uh, like share publicly some repair jobs that you have done? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, actually I, I won't do that because uh, you could use hypothetical situations.
1: Yeah. There's a very famous investor called Monish Pabrai. Okay. And I think he said this or, or one of the other investors said this. He said, you know, every time I talk about my investments, I convince myself that I was right. You know, and that's, and that's not a good thing because someday, <laughs> someday you're going to be wrong about them. Right. So, so, so I, and when I read it, I was like, shit, I do that myself. So I, from that day, I stopped taking proper nouns because genuinely speaking. Um, so I've, I've been interested in equity investing since 2003. I'm a, a Buffett and Charlie Munger fan. I've, there's a book called The Little Black, uh, The Little Book of... Building Wealth by Joel Greenblatt, I think is outstanding. And so my introduction to understanding business came from the point of view of figuring out what is real value, right? So marketing in my mind is a subset of building that value, the process of building that value. And, and so uh, value investing or investing per se is a way of participating in increasing the value of that company, of that firm. And then by association, some of it falls up in your lap right so my intention was not to do value investing or to do angel investing or whatever my intention was to just give myself more time to do the things i enjoyed and i believed at that time that if i do this over time i'll get some returns you know some of it will work out in my favor so it was just the decision was to reallocate my day towards things that i wanted to spend time with and like i said i enjoy uh, so i enjoy talking to people i enjoy understanding people's problems a lot of times people's problems and business problems you know collide into each other you know the founder's problem is the business car problem so i figured and while i was in marico i was actively mentoring companies startup founders uh, so i just started doing a lot more of that and so yeah so i have a, i have a portfolio where i i have diverse interests in Uh, In design houses, in food companies, in uh, a travel uh, company, in healthcare, in entertainment, the business fundas remain the same. What you need to repair remains the same.
0: So you essentially work with B2C companies largely?
1: Uh, No, I have worked with B2B companies as well. But even when you're working with a B2B company, the, the second B is the customer, right? So in my mind, it is always consumer decision making that defines all of this. So even in the B B two situation, I'm trying to understand what that consumer is thinking.
0: And what would make you interested to uh, kind of invest in a company and become a mentor for them? Like, what is your shortlisting criteria? Because a lot of people would approach you, but you would take it ahead with a few. So, so I
1: think of it as the horse and the jockey, right? The business is the horse, the founder is the jockey. Okay. And Early on, I realized that I was betting a lot more on the jockey, the person, the founder. Uh, and over time, I realized it is more and more the horse. So if you want to run a horse race, the horse is much more important than the jockey.
0: So define horse. Would that mean the, the market opportunity or would that mean the the business plan? How that business is placed today to take advantage
1: of a market opportunity. And what if change the business, can it be still possible to run faster or, you know, do well? So I think I, over time, I've started putting more emphasis on that compared to the uh, person who's running the company.
2: So as you could probably make out, Aditya loves solving problems. If your business is facing a marketing problem and you want one of the top marketing brains of the country to help you crack your market and reach scale, then write to us at hello at podium.in and we'll be sure to request Aditya to take a crack at your challenge. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books and drama. Visit thepodium.in that is d-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-n dot i-n for a complete list of all our shows.
0: This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast.
2: Log on to hdsmartcast.com to listen to more such podcasts.